Welcome to the Next Level Show, where we talk with people behind Next Level ideas, products and technology that are changing the world around us. I'm Lubo Smith, the co-founder and CEO of STRV, and my guest today is Dylan Roberts, the founder and CEO of Lucra Sports, a platform that is shaping the sports betting industry into a friend-to-a-friend experience with wagering on major games like NBA or NFL all the way to competing yourself in darts, all the latest TikTok trends. Dylan studied at Duke and Stanford, then worked at Goldman Sachs and hedge funds until becoming an entrepreneur. He's now laser focused on making sports more entertaining by challenging your friends. In this episode, you will learn more about behind the scene of sports betting industry, engaging the masses, partnering up with giant brands and much more. So let's dive right in. Thank you so much, Dylan, for hopping on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'd like to kick things off if we could uh, uh, talk a little bit briefly about like how did the whole thing with uh, Lucra uh, start? What was the initial idea to bring something like that uh, to the market? Yeah, uh, thanks. A great question, Ben. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate being on the show. Um, you know, Lucra and the idea for Lucra really came out of my my own personal interest. You know, I, I grew up in New York. I'm a diehard sports fan. Um, I was never that athletic as a kid, so I wasn't really playing as many sports. So I was watching a lot of sports. I was like a big fan, right? And I, as I was a fan of sports, that kind of grew into engaging in kind of wagering, right? I, I was early user of DraftKings and early user of FanDuel. And, you know, I was playing at college. And I kind of noticed pretty quickly that um, I struggled to get a lot of my friends who were casual fans to play with me, right? So I was on this. I had you know, all these different uh, apps that I was using. Um, and my buddies were sitting on the couch and I couldn't get them to join. And I said, that's interesting because these folks are sports fans as well. Um, and every time I'd ask them why they wouldn't play, I'd get kind of one or one of three answers. Either they'd say, this isn't, this isn't like legal or sketchy, right? Like people didn't know at that time what was going on. Number two, they would say, I don't understand what these words mean. What is a parlay? What is a teaser? What, you know, what, what, what are odds? What are spreads, right? There's a lot of like misinformation. And then number three um, was it wasn't social. They said, well, I'm not, I don't really want to play against these people I don't know, right? I want to play against you. And if, if we bet a beer or we bet $5 on Venmo, I could get them to play with me. And so that was the idea for Lucra. It was create a platform where you could engage with your friends directly for real money um, in a really approachable way. We don't use words like odds and we don't, we don't have parlays or teasers or any of that type of stuff. It's very simple. Um, and we wanted to create a platform to allow friends to compete directly with their friends. So that's, that was kind of the, where the idea came about was just kind of me being a college kid at Duke and trying to do this type of stuff with my friends. And there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity in the market. So we tried to build it. Do you see some other companies that are trying to like uh, come up with similar products these days, or yeah, what's the what's the market looking like? It's growing. I think you know we were one of the first ones pretty early on. We started the company in 2019. You know, a lot had to do a lot of legal work to get the business off off the ground, but um, we we went to market in 2021. Um, you're starting to see more people now. Uh, I still think that there's less of a focus on social than there needs to be. Uh, just because there's so much demand for traditional sports betting, like you know, the, the focus in the market right now is new states coming online. And I live in New York. The second that New York became legalized for betting, traditional betting is where all the energy and money went in. Um, so our market's a smaller market, um, so it's getting a little bit less focus, but it's it's growing. Uh, there's there's more players coming in the space, people innovating with different ideas. 
Um, but I think Lucre is still at the forefront of this innovation. Well, when it comes to uh, like sorting out all the legalities of uh, pursuing a product like this, how did you go about that? And how can a small startup that is being from the ground up uh, meet all the legal requirements and everything? I, 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 from what I understand, it's not that easy in, in, nah. the, in the industry where you operate. You are correct. Um, I think that, you know, in our industry, you have to do things backwards. In, in most industries, it's established product market fit and then scale, right? You build the product, you get it in the market, you test it, and if people like it, then you scale. In our industry, figuring out the legal how you can scale is actually the first problem, right? And so you can't really even build a product and get it in the market. So it's like a chicken and the egg on steroids, right? And so to be honest, I think you really need to invest time and money in legal upfront. And so we, we raised capital and invested, you know, millions of dollars on the legal side before we even built our product, right? So, you know, it's, it's talking with regulators, it's talking with getting the right legal opinions, getting a banking partner, payment processing, you know, all the anti-money laundering programs and know your customers. It's, it's all these things you have to do, um, but you have to make a dedicated focus to it early on in our industry. So how do you take a beast like this off the ground? Uh... And how do you convince people to uh, put some money behind it? Uh, yeah. Like, I think that that's the interesting uh, aspect that I believe uh, will interest people uh, listening. Uh, like, how do you actually come up with the secret combination that helps you to bridge, bridge that gap? Yeah, I think market timing is really important. I mean, when we were raising money at the beginning, um, it was right after the repeal of PASPA. Sports betting was just becoming popular in like 2018, 2019, 2020. There's a lot of innovation happening. And I think there was a lot of investment looking to come into this market, right? And we, Lucra provides a unique access to the market in a much more approachable, much more social way. And so I think market timing was really critical for us and being legal first. I think a lot of investors had heard the pitches of, oh, here's my app. It's in the app store. Check it out. We went the opposite route, which is, Here's who we're working with on the legal side. Here's our plan for compliance. Here's how we're going to handle anti-money laundering. Like that was our pitch. It was it was a legal focused pitch, um, which is less sexy, but it was I think I think the right approach for us in this market. What What do you think the situation would be if you go and raise money in today's conditions? I think it's still exciting. Um, I think we're in the first inning or second inning of sports betting, so. The first pitch has definitely been thrown. It's out there, but there's still a lot of room to grow. I think this market, where you know, we've kind of gone into a little bit of a recessionary market, so maybe it would be a little bit different than you know raising more in a bull market a few years back. But uh, I still think there's a lot of opportunity in our space. I think it's the very beginning. I think it's a good time to get into the wagering world, um, both in sports and, and and outside of sports, which we'll talk about. I'm sure on the show, Lucre has also expanded outside of sports, which I think is quite exciting. Um, so if you're, if you're able to innovate, I think you can still raise, raise capital. I keep hearing those stories that, you know, the startup founders, they have to go and they have to pitch 200 investors to make a breakthrough. Uh, what was it like in your case? Yeah, I think, I think it was even harder for us because especially in 2020, 2019, um, a lot of funds have vice clauses or sin clauses that don't even allow them to invest in our space, right? So if you think of a normal investment, if I was, if I was, you know, selling, uh, darts, I was making like, you know, a dart, I still have to talk to 200 investors, then add an additional 200 investors for our industry. 
because half the people aren't even able to uh, invest in your fund based on their on their LP clauses. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I we probably I've probably spoken to over three hundred investors uh, in the last three years, um, just because it, it it is a game of trial and error. You have to find the right fit, um, the person who believes in what you're building. Um, and obviously, it gets easier. To, you know, we spoke to less and less investors as we scaled, but at yeah. the beginning, it's it's really just you know you got to talk to everybody. And you touched it briefly. Where do you see the the line between sports betting and having fun and doing it for the entertainment uh, and the social layer versus uh, like uh, the gambling element uh, of things? Do Do you think that there's a line that uh, you wouldn't like to cross or? How yeah. do you have how do you have this uh, defined in your head? A hundred percent. We think there is a line. Um, you know, it's subjective, right? So depending on you, you can view that line very differently. But we want to keep things casual and fun. Um, we have a max bet of five hundred dollars or a max contest of five hundred dollars. So you can't compete for more than five hundred dollars on our platform anywhere. Um, so that I think is a big statement that like that's the opposite of what the big players are doing. They want as much wager volume as possible. We're trying to keep it casual and fun. I think about 60 or 70% of our contests are like $10, right? So that's really where we live. Um, and our feature growth, what we're focusing on is, you know, sharing the social media, Mac talk, leaderboards, statistics, like that is where we're building. And so for us, our focus is, is keeping it casual and fun. So what are the most common bets that uh, people are making on the platform? Yeah. Um, well, so we have two pieces of our product, right? So we have our sports contest. Where you can challenge your friends to player uh, contests, so Tom Brady versus Aaron Rodgers touchdowns, or LeBron James versus Kevin Durant points. Any two players uh, on that side of the business, the most popular contests are you know, your favorite basketball player who's going to have more points, your favorite uh, NBA player who's going to have more three pointers. It's kind of what you would expect. But I think more exciting is on the second piece of our product, which is recreational games. You can challenge your friends to the games that you play in your real life, from cornhole to beer pong to darts to, you know, a game of chess, you name it. We see some very interesting contests on that side. Um, people are doing staring contests. They're doing thumb war. They're doing trivia, like fun, unique things. Um, I don't know if you've seen the New York Times game called Wordle. Um, that's yeah. actually one of our top contests. So Wordle is one of our most used contests on our platform. So I think oh, wow. that's been really exciting to see. Um, that there are so many use cases for our product now since we've added these recreational games. And it'll be interesting to see where that goes as the company continues to grow. And so do you rely on people to be honest about the results? Uh... Yeah. So we, we have all of our recreational games are manual settlement, settlement. So if you and I were to do a you know, game of golf, we would compete and then enter the results ourselves. We do have a pattern recognition software that helps protect against people taking advantage of our platform. So if I said, hey, we played golf 10 times in a row in one day, it's pretty unlikely that we did that. Our, our system would pick up on it. But per our terms and conditions, you, ch- you, sign a, you sign something as you come in that says that you're only going to play the games that are, um, that are in there. Taking a step back from that, what's the value of not doing that, right? Like, why, why would I, if I could just settle up through Venmo or pay you cash, why would I say that I'm playing darts when I'm doing something else? There's not much value in doing that on our platform. Got it. So so what are the most common use cases uh, when it comes to like sharing it on social media and, and, and so on? How, how do people uh, get creative with the app? Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a variety of use cases that have been interesting to us. I think a number, one of the number one is video games. So video games is a big category for us. You know, FIFA and Madden and Call of Duty 
and seeing people, you know, share with their friends in that regard. Number two is recreational sports. So things like golf or tennis or pickleball, which is like the new trend of, of 2022. Um, we see people sharing those. And then I think number three is, is bar games. You know, you see things like beer pong and, uh, darts and billiards and, you know, whatever the college kids are doing these days, we have it on our, our platform for them. Um, and so there's some really cool opportunities to, to try new things. You can also uh, suggest a game. So if we don't have your game, you can reach out to our team and we'll do an analysis on if it fits with our product. Um, so it's fun to get recommendations like the Wordle game. Uh, we didn't come up with a uh, customer actually asked if we could add it. And now it's one of our top playing games. So we're trying to listen to our customers uh, as they as they send us ideas. You know, that that's great. Uh, it's it's always uh, nice when you know the startups are listening to the customers and adjusting yeah. based on that. Uh, that's for sure. What does it take uh, for you uh, to actually implement a, a new a new game into your product? Uh, how difficult is that? And so uh, we've we've luckily we've we've built the technology to make it quite easy. So from a technology standpoint, it's quite easy to do. Most of the work comes on the analysis side of our business. So. All of Lucra's games must be skill-based games. So for example, you can't flip a coin on Lucra because there's no skill in that, right? And so we do an analysis on our team on if the game is a game of skill, and then it goes into our into our process there. So uh, that's where most of the work comes in, but it's, it's not um, it's not too difficult of a process, which is nice. So we can move quite quickly. And how did you go about building a team to support all of that when uh, you know building the company up? And uh, what's, what's uh, the size of a team that you have right now? Yeah, the, I'm a big believer the team is everything. The, the right people are what makes a company work. You know, an idea is great, but really the execution of that idea is what is, is, the, is how you really make, make the game change. Um, we have about 20 people now at Lucra uh, across the US. We're a 100% remote company, so we're everywhere. We, we have no home base. I'm based in New York, but we have people in over 11 states, which is, which is great. Um, and we also have some of our team in South America as well. Um, and we hired mostly engineering first because, you know, we're a product, you know, a tech product. So we had to build a tech product. Um, and we've now grown substantially on the, on the marketing side. So we're now hiring on the growth and marketing and business development side of the business. So it's a great team of folks, um, all working together at this joint vision. What is it like, uh, to have a, a remote first company? And, uh, is there some lessons learned from, uh, being fully distributed and, uh, not, uh, coming to, the same office every day? Yeah, I think there's pros and cons. I mean, I think the pros are, gives you a lot of flexibility to hire in different locations, right? So we have people all over the place. Um, it, people don't have to move or relocate for their job. They can stay where they are. I think it provides a lot of work-life balance flexibility for our team, right? You can kind of work out on your own time or go for a walk or go have lunch. Like we, there are no such thing as quote unquote, like regular working hours. You work you have your job and you have your function. And as long as you complete your goals, you can work on your own time. Um, and I think it makes people more productive because it gives them a chance to, you know, there's no commute time in the mornings. I used to commute, you know, an hour each way to my job, right? And so it just saves a lot of time for productivity. But I think, you know, some of the negatives are that it's harder to build culture, right? You have to do, we do kind of cultural retreats once a quarter um, to go and, um, and be with our team together because we're not with each other every day. There's no kitchen or water cooler or to like tell jokes and, and be together, right? So I think that's one of the negatives, but I think the pros outweigh the cons because it's also cost efficient, right? You don't have to spend as much money on, on office space, which I think for a startup is, is quite nice. And do you think that it can continue like that? And what's your growth plans uh, going forward? 
Yeah, I, I think we'd like to keep it as long as possible. So I think we'd like to keep the remote as long as possible. I think you're right. At some point, as we continue to scale, um, we may want to have a headquarters, but we may do kind of like a hybrid situation where, you know, you don't have to be in, but if you live there, you can come, et cetera, et cetera. Because um, look, we, we, we started our company during COVID. So many of the people that we hired are not in, you know, in New York or San Francisco. And we obviously made a commitment to those people that they're not going to have to move their families to, to work with Lucra. So um, we'll see how it goes. We're taking it, you know, every couple of months we're reevaluating, but for now we're going to stay remote. Yeah, for sure. There's multiple school of uh, thoughts uh, uh, when it comes to like being remote or being in the office. And it's interesting yeah. how people are shifting back and forth between the two. Uh, but uh, certainly, I, I, I mean, I, I hear you on all the benefits and also on uh, some of the constraints. Um, yeah. wh- when, it, when it comes to uh, some of the future plans, uh, uh, just not, not just when it comes to the people, but uh, more importantly, when it comes to the product, uh, what are some of the things that you have on your roadmap that you could share with us? Yeah, so I think we're really focused on using these new recreational games that we added as a bridge for new customers. You know, there's so many people that I talk to that think that, you know, sports betting is still this negative bias, you know, it's scary, etc. But when you say, hey, like, you know, what about a board game that you play? Would you want to put 10 bucks on that? people feel much more excited and comfortable. So we want to use these recreational games as a nice entry point to get people into the product. And I think the way we're going to do that is with partnerships. So there's a lot of opportunity for us to partner with brands that have been yearning for a way to get wagering into their product, but the traditional companies don't have an opportunity. So for example, we signed a deal with Spartan Race, which is like the tough mutter, you know, like really intense competitions that you do with friends. And it's kind of their first foray into this market because Lucre's product fits so nicely. You can now go to one of these races. We have a race at Fenway in Boston this weekend where you can challenge your friends on who's going to finish the race faster or who can do more pull-ups or who can do a longer plank or, or who can do more jumping jack. And you can challenge your friends now on Lucre and have all the tracking and the stats and the you know, sharing to social. So I think that is a big part of our, our roadmap for 2023 is how do we slot in with more businesses like Spartan Race where we can provide this unique value. Um, so it's something that we're really focused on. What, what is the process to partner with the big names like uh, you mentioned Spartan Race or yeah. uh, I believe you are also partnered up uh, with uh, Atlanta Falcons? Uh, yeah. what, is, what is the process to get uh, s- s- these big partnerships? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a combination of hard work and, and, and networking, I think. You know, it's, it's getting in touch with the right people, utilizing your investor base. We have some phenomenal investors um, who are connected with the right folks um, who, are, who are really helpful in getting that first meeting. I think just like raising money, getting the first meeting is so critical. And then you and then you bet on yourself, right, to be able to sell your product and the vision. Like we know that our business is a logical fit for a lot of these partners. So it's more of just trying to figure out how do you get in the room with the right people, right? And so you know, it's a combination of cold outreach, hustle and grit using investor connections. And then once you sign the partnerships, you got to do some press around them so that other partners come in. So we, when, we, when we signed our Spartan Race deal, we put out some press, which helped us, you know, it's helping us um, get involved with some other partners as well. So it's, it's a little bit of a cycle. Okay. So now you have more of these uh, in the works. That's uh, Exactly. That's... Yeah. I, we have a lot of things in the works. I can't share which partners yet, but you'll see from 20, in 2023 from us some, some really exciting deals where, where Lucre is going to change the game for some of these partners. That's pretty sweet. 
And uh, how do you go about growing the community and uh, keeping uh, the fans engaged? Yeah, what are some so of the I tactics think, there? I, yeah, I, it, look, this is not something that's easy, right? We live in a world where if you're a you know, young 22-year-old customer, you have a million options for where you go for spend your time, from social media to, to gamification. There's like a million things that you can do. So it's not, it's not an easy problem. And for us, we're trying to have product-led growth. Like we want our product to be sticky. So we're adding in the features um, that allow for people to come back to the app. You know, we want Lucra to become part of your daily routine. You go to your Lucra, you see what your friends are up to, you send them a couple contests, you talk some shit. Like that's kind of what we want it to be in terms of how we engage people and have them come back. Um, and we're seeing really good engagement so far. So for us, it's like making sure that we build the feature roadmap uh, with that in mind uh, is a big part of it. Uh, we also need to build our brand awareness. Lucra is a new company, right? You know, doing things like the next level show, talking about what we're doing, getting the word out um, is important so that people become more familiarized with our company. Um, we're, you know, we're a small business, but once people learn about us, they seem to really enjoy our product. And so just doing a lot more in the media and in press to get the word out about what Lucre is all about. You mentioned uh, product-led growth multiple times. I would love to dive a bit deeper and see how do you actually interact with your users to learn more about what they want and uh, yeah. how do... like. I assume that there is a relatively simple process to suggest a new game to be added to the platform. Yeah. But uh, what are all the uh, best practices that you are leveraging in terms of uh, learning from how people use the product that you can then apply in uh, making it better? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, first and foremost, the reason I always say product-led is Lucra is a social network. Lucra does not work in the long run if you're not playing with your friends. That's what we built our business on. So we are really focused on the product, selling the product in terms of Dylan downloads the product, he plays, he enjoys it. And he says, oh, wow, this would be so much more fun if my wife was playing with me and I invite her and I refer her. You know, over 60% of our customers, six zero, are referred by another person, which is really unique for our industry. You know, we're not doing a lot of paid ads. We're not doing as much, you know, um, in the traditional channels. It's more of, Engage, you know, organic engagement and referrals. So that's, that's really what I mean by that. To your question, though, which is a good one, is how do we communicate with our customers? Um, we kind of have two ways that we do that. One is we have a pretty good relationship with our kind of top playing customers. We have a loyalty program. So you can, you know, the more and more you play on Lucra, you get shirts, you get gear, you get you know, all that type of stuff and, and free play. Um, so they're pretty engaged with us. So when we send them surveys, they actually respond. And um, it's awesome to get their feedback. And then we also use uh, user testing tools for users that we that we're less familiar with. So we you know give like a $5 Starbucks gift card or $20 to DoorDash and we offer them an incentive to spend the time to talk to the app. And some of the most interesting learnings have come from watching these videos. This this company we use usertesting.com will actually have the person record their their going through the app. And so you can listen to like the unencumbered feedback for 10 minutes and just kind of say okay, well, hmm, I'm stuck here. Uh, where do I click? Uh, okay, so I guess I click on this, you know, and they'll talk through it and it helps us yep. understand where are they getting stuck? You know, where are they spending most of their time? Um, and then use that to build new, new features. Yeah, I think uh, most definitely usertesting.com is a great service or like similar services uh, are very much needed to get the, the feedback uh, from the users, how they are actually uh, using it and where, where they see obstacles and so on. Uh, 
did you uh, encounter anything uh, interesting while reviewing these videos and uh, yeah. something that really surprised you? Yeah, I mean, a lot. I mean, I've, 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 you know, I've watched dozens of these videos. Some people on our team have watched hundreds of these videos. Um, I, I always find it interesting where, you know, there's a button like right in front of their face and they're like, where's, where, you know, how do I create a contest? And it's just like, there's a big plus button right there. But it's interesting, like, you know, having built the app, we know that the button's there, but it, it's just little changes to the user interface can make a huge difference. So we've done a lot of A-B testing based off this feedback of like, you know, do you make the button like just pulsate a little bit, right? Like you, you realize that even though the button is big, there's a lot of actions on the page. But if you just kind of like, you know, make it like pulsate a little bit, it draws your attention to it, right? And so, and maybe the first time you see a button, it does that. And so we're doing things like that. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting to see um, people struggle through and, and learn the user experience. Um, so we've had a lot of, a lot of learnings that way. Yeah, there's a whole lot of uh, ways how to drive uh, people's attention to certain parts of of the application, yeah. right? And how to yeah. how to get uh, through that. But what's also interesting point is like, do you put more emphasis on the pure UX, or do you also want to keep it visually appealing? And I think that's where, from the design standpoint, uh, like it needs it like uh, it it really. Uh, like needs a lot of attention to create an ideal balance between the two because like of course you don't want to just optimize for the conversion purely yeah. because then yeah. you would probably have a black button on the white background and that would be it and nothing else yeah. no design no visuals yeah uh, no it's true it's a balance right and like uh you know the 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 user interface like that first thing that they see is the most important thing to get them to come but the user experience is what gets them to stay, right? And so we focus heavily on both. We have an amazing head of design who has designed our whole product. We, I, I think he's done an incredible job. Our product looks great. And especially with our customer base, which is very young, you get, you get very few chances with this millennial Gen Z demographic that we're playing with. It's got to pop. The colors have to be good. It has to, you know, and so we, it's got to bring you in. And then the flow has to be easy enough for you to understand, especially in an industry like ours. Where it takes a lot of education, right? You know, a lot, a lot of these people, a lot of our customers are new to this, right? And so, um, it's certainly your, it's a, it's a balance. You know, the UX and the UI focus, it's a balance. So, uh, how, how do you go about spreading the word about the product, uh, getting people in, and then retaining them? What, what uh, are some of the activities that you use yeah. throughout the entire cycle? Yeah. So we 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 target customers in a lot of different ways from. You know, we do some traditional channels like paid media, you know, Snapchat and you know Twitter and Reddit and YouTube and so on and so forth. We do influencer deals, so we partner with influencers across you know a bunch of different social media channels to talk about our product. Um, we've got a campus ambassador program in over 50 uh, college campuses around the U.S. You know, targeted at those college campuses and bringing those 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 customers to us. And then we've got partnerships, uh, things like Spartan Race, things like the Atlanta Falcons, where we're activating at those arenas and at those races. So we're kind of channeling customers from all these different places, but the number one engine is getting people to invite their friends. So our goal is, you know, when you join, how do we get you to also invite one person, right? Because that really reduces our customer acquisition cost. And that's why 60% of our customers have been referred because that's a big part of our, of our growth engine. Yeah, I mean, it would be ideal if uh, you get one customer and that customer refers to, and uh, these two, they refer another two, right? Then you don't that's, have to spend uh, any more money. Exactly. If you can make that engine work, uh, you really can win, right? And so we, we've made a lot of progress there. And I think we're doing 
you know, new and interesting things um, with our product to make that work. Um, and it's a big, that's a big focus for us is what, what features make the user want to invite their friends and, and then prioritize those features earlier on in the app experience um, to make that even easier. What are all the markets right now that uh, you focus on? Uh, I assume purely just the US or do you look yeah, uh, so outside as well? We're 100% US right now. Uh, I think we could look to expand one day. Um, but right now it's just US based. Um, and we're focused on, you know, the high volume states, you know, states like Florida and Georgia and California and Texas, you know, states where there's lots of consumers and states where there's big sports fans and a lot of friendly competition. Um, so we're, you know, we're focused, but focused only domestic right now. Yeah, I'll tie it back to one of my initial questions uh, regarding the regulation. Uh, does that vary uh, from state to state? And what does uh, the situation look like uh, on the outside of the US? Yeah, so it does vary state to state. Um, every state kind of views uh, you know, sports and wagering differently. Um, and we, we make it even more complicated for ourselves because we have two products. We have our sports contest and our recreational games. So there are some states where we operate only our recreational games. And then there are some states where we offer both of our products. So we use geolocation. When you go to different states, we can tell where you are. And then uh, which is why you have to allow uh, for everyone who gets a pop-up on Looper that says, please allow us to use your location. This is why we do it, because we need to know where you are. Um, and, and we can update from there. Um, I think internationally, it'd be, easy, it'd be easy to expand. There are many, there are many countries, specifically in Europe, um, where you know, sports betting is just much more easy to operate. I just don't think we have as much of a value proposition there. There's so much competition already in those markets. And so operating here in the U.S., especially during this exciting time, it's where we're starting. But I can see us expanding um, over time. And uh, do you think that there is still like a lot of opportunities to growth, uh, uh, like just within the U.S.? So oh, you have, yeah. you have I mean, some time. Think about it. Like there's like a couple million sports betting customers right now. There's 50 million people who play fantasy sports. And then there's like 200 million people who say they make some sort of friendly wager every year, whether it's like on a game of darts or on a March Madness pool or on the Super Bowl squares. Like there are hundreds of millions of people engaging in friendly competition and only a couple million of them have been monetized. And so I think yeah. there's a ton of room to grow, um, but we think that the room is with the casual fans, right? Like that's where we think it's the opportunity is being missed, not with the true avid fans. Yeah, uh, I think the the question could be how do you actually become a household name that whenever someone wants to make a small bet, uh, they will think of Lucra exactly. and uh, yeah, that's, you, that's you touch... the usual question, right? That like if, if we can solve if we can make that if we can solve that problem, this business is is it's a, it's in the moon, right? And so I think for us, it's all about making sure that our brand aligns with casual, with fun, with safe transparency we're huge on transparency you know we have no deposit minimums no withdrawal minimums you can play for one dollar like it's all about making it so you can try it and enjoy it um and i think that's the key is right you gotta be synonymous with with the friendly with the friendly content anytime i'm competing for fun i want to i want people to think about with yeah. but uh, there is the the downside that uh, you have some obstacles right for uh, onboarding people into the app it's not as just they would download it and and that's yeah. it uh there's there's probably a lot that you have to do like kyc and uh and uh -huh. all of that yeah it's the it's the most painful thing about our industry it makes complete sense we have to do it it's important um but it's it's painful for the customer right especially a customer who's not um 
maybe done any sort of wagering before, you know, having to put in their birthday, having to put in their address. Sometimes they have to scan their ID. You know, if you win enough money, we have to ask for your social security number for 1099. So like, these are all things that are new to people. And it's certainly, it's certainly it's our biggest barrier and our, our biggest obstacle. So you make a great point. Um, and it's something that we just have to continue to work on. Unfortunately, there's no, there's no cheat code to that, right? You, you know, people have to go through these and especially with younger customers who don't have credit history, who are moving around a lot in their college dorms. It's even harder to find those customers in regards to KYC. So, um, certainly a challenge, but one that we're tackling head on. So uh, how are you structuring the business model behind all of that to make the company uh, function properly? Yeah, so we, we charge a small fee on our contest, 5% uh, to the winner for our sports contest. Our recreational contests are free. Um, and we're building out a model to eventually do paid partnerships. So how the company is going to monetize is as we continue to grow our user base, um, activate uh, for partners uh, on our platform. So whether it's a consumer product like, hey, I'll bet you a burger and have that burger be able to advertise on our platform or something like Spartan Race where we can help drive customers to their platform. So I think partnerships and monetizing through these partners is going to be a huge opportunity for Lucra on top of our traditional wager volume fee. And lastly, I think our data is going to become very valuable. You know, what's unique about Lucra is every contest created on Lucra is user generated, right? The users create them, they set their own terms, they pick their own contest. So we have a ton of data by gender, by geography, by demographic on what people like to wager on. And I think that's really interesting data down the road to monetize. But I think we got to, you know, get more of that data first. Yeah. And like, uh, considering that you have started the company in 2019, uh, you have raised uh, around uh, $10 million in funding. Is that right? A bit more. We've raised close to 15 now. Okay. It's growing. Uh, that's yeah. good. Uh, yeah. uh, what does uh, profitability uh, mean to you in uh, uh, today's world, especially? Yeah, I think, I think having a continued path to profitability is important. You know, a company like Lucre is not going to be profitable overnight, but I think having a path to profitability is key and having the right unit economics to make the business grow without needing a tremendous amount of capital is, is going to be critical. And I think that's a big part of our value proposition and a big part of why I think we were able to, to acquire a lot of great investment dollars is Lucra is a lower cost customer acquisition channel. You know, we're acquiring customers for under $100 when a lot of the competition is spending hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars per customer. And so we see the long-term viability in our business. We can acquire customers for cheaper, monetize them, and kind of, and receive, and, and kind of turn this business into a profitable business, hopefully, in the near future. So for us right now, it's just about scale, continue to scale the business, um, and then monetize those customers. Do, do you feel like on that journey that you will be, uh, like you will need to raise uh, more money than you have raised up until now yeah. to reach the I level we'll, of profitability? I think, we'll, I think we'll need to raise one more round of capital to get the profitability. Um, we, we, we just raised our Series A, quite, uh, I guess just raised, time flies, but quite recently. And so, you know, we're not fundraising right now. Um, but I think sometime in 2023, we'll fundraise again um, to really bring towards uh, you know, bring more capital and to, to get towards that profitability. And uh, like, do you think that there is a certain threshold that you need to hit in terms of the users and uh, the, the the amount of bets to be like well positioned for the next round? Uh, is there any like interesting milestones that uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, uh, you, we, ha you, we, you have outlined? We certainly have some internally that we're that we have with our board and our team and our investors. You know that I that I can't share publicly, but. 
they're all focused around, you know, MAU growth, sessions per month, how often are they engaging with our platform, you know, month one, month two, month three, month four, retention, um, you know, you know, wager volume, uh, you know, repeat, re- repeat players, referrals, so all the metrics you would think of. We have KPIs for all those metrics that we're shooting for for our next round. Um, and we're right on track. So that, that what, what's, what's fun about this industry is you get to talk to customers every day and, you're, and you have a real product that you're selling. What's challenging about this industry is every week is a new week. You start at zero, right? So today's Monday, like we're, 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 we're at zero for this week and we're starting fresh, right? And so it's a new week every day. And that's, and that's I think, stressful. It takes the right type of mentality to, to, to live in that business. Um, but it can be quite exciting as well. And like, do you have uh, some end goal in mind how you would like uh, this journey to end uh, uh, and potentially what could come after that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we want to change, we want to change the game, right? We want to disrupt this industry. We want to create the, the real first social engine for this type of, for this type of contest. Um, and I think Lucre could be a really large standalone business. Um, so we're looking to continue to compete there. That being said, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, for M&A. I think this could be a unique opportunity for Lucre to partner with the right big player to grow faster. Um, so I think that's something that we'll always consider as we continue to grow. So we want to disrupt, but we also, understand that scale can help us grow faster faster. So, you know, we're kind of looking at a combination of 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 you know fundraising and MA and and, and a combination. What's next for me afterwards, I don't know. I need a break after this. This is this has been quite the journey and it's really you know, being an entrepreneur is incredibly fun. It's incredibly rewarding. It's incredibly exhausting. And so um however long Lucre will be, which hopefully is many, many years, at that point, um I think I'll 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 you know take a little breather and then reevaluate from that. Yeah, and now looking back, uh, do you feel that the studies at Duke and Stanford prepared you nicely for uh, being uh, a founder, being an entrepreneur, and and running a startup and doing all things uh, uh, startupy? Certainly. I mean, I had a great experience at Duke. Um, I met my wife there. That was the best thing that happened to me at Duke was meeting her, um, <laughs> and then and then and then a great experience at Stanford where I met. Um, a bunch of people who work with me now at Lucra. Uh, I met at Stanford, a couple of our investors, advisors. So, you know, for me, it's just the networks that I was able to build those places was really valuable. Um, you know, you learn a lot in the classroom, but you learn a ton outside the classroom, just being around other people who are starting things, you know, and, and trying and failing and trying and failing um, was really cool. Um, do I think you need it to start a company? Absolutely not. But certainly was a great place for me to, um, to learn a ton um, and meet a lot of great people. And have you always uh, wanted to be a founder of your own company one day, or it just uh, kind of came out of a sudden? Yeah, I don't think I always wanted to. I'd be lying if I said I did. I think you know, growing up, I, I I worked in finance first. You know, I worked in investment banking and a hedge fund, and I think it took me doing that to realize I didn't want to do that. Right. So I thought I thought I wanted to be in finance to be an investor. Um, I think I, I just always found myself thinking of ideas and, you know, I, I, and brainstorming. And I kind of said, I right, eventually one day I got to go for this. So it was, it was more of a coincidence than it was, um, uh, like a full, like lifelong dream. But now that I've done it, um, I know that it's the right place for me. I, I find it very fulfilling. Um, I learn more every day in this job than I, than I can ever imagine. Every day is different. Um, and I'm still learning a ton, so a lot of growth left for me. But it's been it's been quite the learning experience. There's a lot of uh, happening, of course, like uh, in in the tech space when it comes to hardware, software, and there's a lot of uh, happening in the sports uh, 
combined. Uh, what are some of the projects uh, and and products that uh, are inspiring you? Wow, that's a good question. I mean, I'll tell you, I have, I, I, I'll tell you, what, I'm not as focused on the Web3 NFT environment as everybody else. For me, it hasn't clicked for me. I don't, I don't engage a lot of those products, so I feel left out almost that the whole world is going towards NFTs and Web3. Um, so I need to do some more learning uh, in that regard. Um, so but that's been, I think that's been a really interesting kind of development in the world. I mean, I've spent a lot of my time on the sports side of the business, but as sports has grown, you know, cryptocurrency and Web3 and, and NFTs and, and the metaverse has, has grown even faster alongside of us. Um, you know, I, as a consumer, I'm, I'm, I'm always just looking for clean user experiences, easy to use, uh, easy to use product. Um, but my app is, is littered and my phone is littered with all the, uh, the sports apps. That's where I live and I spend my time. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on all the competitive products all the time and always trying to learn what people are doing well, um, to see if we can make Lucre a better experience. So, uh, how, how do you go about like, uh, leveraging the best out of the competitors? Do you have, uh, some specific, uh, approach to it or do we just download the app and randomly play? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's pretty informal. Notes. We just, you know, yeah, we just try to, we just try to play, right. And be active and learn and understand their user experience and, you know, if we, if you create a formal process and you, then you take the risk of like copying things, which you don't want to do. It's more of the, how do you feel? Like, I want to know how I feel when I'm on these apps and how I, and like, what, what do I like about how I feel? What do I not like about how I feel? Like, do I want to come back? And then trying to figure out those more intangible things. Like, what was it? Like, was the copy really friendly that brought me in? Or was it like really, really easy to get through the onboarding experience? Like, and then are there little, little things that we can take away to make our experience better? Yeah, do you think that you can go too far with uh, gamification uh, when building a product, or do you think yeah, that there is endless possibilities? No, you can go too far. I mean, you, you don't want it to be gimmicky, right? So you have to find that balance of gamifying it, making it feel competitive and fun, but not just like so gamified that it feels like a like a gimmick, right? So it, there's there's certainly a balance. Um, I always vote more gamification versus less, but you know, to a to a point. Yeah. Do you, do you have an example of like what's beyond the limit uh, when it comes to gamification? Like something that you have uh, uh, tried in the past and it was obviously too much? Yeah. I mean, I guess one example is like, you know, like emojis, right? Like emojis are very popular now, especially across the Gen Z generation. Um, and we play with like what level of emojis do we want to have in our app? And we tried some different stuff and like, you know, being able to send emojis all over the place and felt like like raining emojis coming down like it it felt like too gimmicky at that point so we toned it back and we have like some of that in there but it's like trying to find a balance of like that was an example of something that we like really like toggled up and toggled down to see how it felt um because you don't want it to feel like unprofessional right you have people putting real money on the line you know you, you want it to feel safe fun but also safe right and so i think that's the important piece yeah when when you think about live sports versus like all the stuff that is happening in the metaverse and in the virtual worlds uh that uh you mentioned you uh probably will will need to study a bit more yeah uh, what do you think this is going to be like in in 10 20 years uh what is uh, what are we going to see more that's the question yeah. No, I, I mean, look, I think we're going to see more virtual and augmented experiences. I think that having played them now, they're just not there yet. So I think that we are 10 or 15 years away from that experience being so intuitive where I can put on my headset and like 
you know, watch the TV or play this game, you know, uh, uh, in, in this kind of VR capacity. And I think at that point, you know, you really break the chain and it, and it really becomes like a revolutionary idea. So I think it just takes time. I think you're going to see more integration um, with VR tech like every single year. Um, but I think there's a lot of businesses that are hesitant to do it yet just because it doesn't have the same look and feel um, as they're used to. So um, it's, it's going to be a balance. I think sports is leaning into it more than anybody else. Like our industry is going all in on, on this stuff. So it's coming whether I like it or not. Well, when you are going all in at something, uh, it can be pretty stressful. And uh, that's why I would like to ask you, how how do you handle that? How do you handle the uh, like uh, the amount of stress that is coming your way uh, yeah. so you don't you don't get crazy from it? Yeah, I, I uh, it's a good question. I probably could do it better. I could do better. So if you have any learnings from any other founders you talk to, you can send me them on the slide. I mean, <laughs> no, I try to breathe. You know, I try to take deep breaths. I try to you know, leave time for friends and family. I try to work out. Um, but it's hard. I mean, running a company is is a twenty four seven job, um, especially in the sports industry where you know Saturdays and, and Sundays are our two biggest days of the week, right? Our two most high volume days are Saturday and Sunday. So it's difficult for to, you know to detach on the weekends. It's difficult to go on vacation. It's difficult to travel. But um, I think that's the trade off. You know, if you love what you do, you know, some days it doesn't feel like work, right? Like some days it just feels like you know part of who I am. So. Um, it's certainly a challenge to manage the stress. Um, yeah. I bet if you ask my wife, she'd give you a different answer. But uh, <laughs> I'm, wor I'm working on it. You know, I'm working on it. What What do you think she would say? I don't know. I mean, I think she. I, I think she would say that I'm like I get hyper focused. Like it's hard for me to detach. You know, like if we're at, if we're at the dinner table or we're going for a walk, like and you know my flat buzzes. I, I feel like a, like a yearning to want to be involved because this is my baby. I want to make sure. That you know we hit our goals, so it's just hard. It's just hard. I think it's hard to disconnect because technology today makes it so easy to communicate with people, right? You can call them, text them, email them, Slack them, WhatsApp them. Like, so I'm you know I'm getting hundreds of emails, hundreds of Slacks a day. It's hard to turn that off, right? And I think that's the hardest part about about working at a startup, not just for me as the founder, but for our whole team. I think our whole team has has that type of uh, you know reaction. That's right. And I can uh, totally agree with that, that uh, like, especially like if you like, for example, from my experience, if you have a really intense day and then you immediately go into a social activity, like you are like, it takes time for you to adapt to it. And like, or at least like for myself, like if, if I'm supposed to go to like a social dinner after a super busy day with no break in between yeah. then yeah. I, i will be I'll, i will be very awkward maybe it's hard like the thing the thing is that I'll, i'll be very awkward regardless but uh this might make it even worse yeah no it's hard I and mean, it's hard it's hard to take your mind off it you know it's hard to 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 you know differentiate what you need to be focusing on i mean it's it's a challenge but it's a blessing you know i think it's uh i think it's a blessing and a curse right like You know, that's one thing I'll give. I always give advice to other founders. When you go and start something, like you, you have to realize it's gonna, it, it should take over your life for a little bit, right? Like if you want to succeed, somebody else is taking over their life, right? So someone else is trying to do it, right? And so if, if it's not going to be your like, you know, your main priority, it's very difficult to succeed. Now that's not sustainable forever. As the company grows, as you have a larger team, like I've already started to feel like I have a great team I can delegate work to. Like we're that is starting to slowly change. 
But for those first couple of years, it's just, you know, it's just you, right? And so it's, uh, it's, it's a commitment. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a huge commitment. And I think that uh, in uh, most of the cases, it's not just the first couple of years, but uh, uh, sometimes it uh, takes a lot longer than that. Yeah. Uh, so you are 100% right. Uh, how do you go about uh, uh, learning from others? You, you mentioned that you are trying to uh, share some of your experience with others. Yeah. But, uh, how do you, how do you source sort that? Do you oh, have yeah. any mentors I, or yeah or anything yeah. like that? I mean, this is where Stanford was so valuable for me. Um, is there such a great founder community there? You know, hundreds of founders in the last decade um, who are providing resources. There's founder groups. There's events. Um, so I've gotten a few mentors from there, um, and a bunch of my classmates have also. You know, about about 25 of my classmates started companies in my graduating class, and so we have a, a chat together where. Hey, I need I need I need a new accounting firm. Who should I use? Or hey, I, I need to start getting performance reviews. You know, who should I talk to? You know, so that's been really helpful for me. Is just not being afraid to ask because somebody has the answer, right? And so um, that's been a great a great channel for me. Um, and I continue to you know value those those resources. And uh, like as we spoke about uh, sports and games, what are some of your personal favorites? Uh... Uh, either either games or sports. What do you what do you like? Yeah, my favorite sport is, is basketball. I'm a huge New York Knicks fan, so uh, basketball is my sport. In terms of games, uh, I, I I mentioned it before I love darts. I've got my darts right here. Uh, I, I I have a dartboard in my office. I, I love throwing darts. Um, I think it's the most relaxing and fun you know way to just you know take a load off and like for me that's a relief. Like at the end of the day, just you know throw a couple darts against the wall and take a deep breath. Um, what else do I like to do? Um, I'm a big golfer. I love golf. So, uh, I, golf is something I always competed with, with my friends growing up. And now it's great that we can do it on Lucra. So that's the thing. There's something for everybody, whether it's video games or board games or golf or darts, there's something for you on there. So that's, that's what I think makes it so exciting. So like the, the question that I'd like to wrap up with, uh, is there a day in your life when you don't use Lucra? Yes. Or has there, one of the, has, there, has there been I, since uh, you put the product live? Yeah, yes. So yes, one, when I, the day I got married, I left my phone in my hotel room. So I didn't use Lucra <laughs> that day. And then two is, I got married on a Sunday, so there was football going on. So that shows you how, uh, how much I love my wife. And then number two is, uh, there are a couple of states where Lucra doesn't operate. So if I'm traveling to those states, then I'm not on Lucre those days. But I'm a pretty avid player. So you can find me. Username DROB. Anyone can challenge me. D-R-O-B. Uh, friend me up and uh, let's see how you do. All right. Amazing. I'll definitely look you up and uh, yeah. I will uh, try to challenge you and let's see, let's see how we do. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on the show. It's great to chat. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Feel free to download Lucre on the App Store and challenge me up. All right, Dylan. Thank you so much and uh, you, have sir. a good one. Thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please follow us on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And be thankful if you leave us a review. That's it for now. Till next time on the Next Level Show.